In the first part of this teaching on dying to be in the presence of the Lord, I covered the need that we give up running our own life and let the Holy Spirit, let the Father through the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us and guide us in the way that we should go. I touched on a verse from John chapter 12, but I want to enlarge on that a wee bit from a personal experience with it. He says in verse 24 of John 12, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So the Jesus was saying, a seed has to die. It can't lay in the ground and do what it wants to do. It can't dictate to the earth around it or to other plants what they must do in order to make it more comfortable. It simply dies to what it wants. And when it dies, Jesus said, that's when it can start to produce much fruit. And you see, it's that way in our personal lives. We have to die to those things that we want, just as Jesus died to what he wanted at the, at, just before the cross when he prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he added quickly, it's not what I want, it's what you want. All of us need to go through a time when we say, Lord, it's not what I want. For the rest of my life, it's what you want. Years ago, I, for some reason, I was walking down a country road. There was corn growing in the field, but it was only about this high. And the farmer had planted it close to the road. And so without really thinking, I just pulled one up. I don't know why. I think God wanted to teach me something. I pulled it up, and the roots are kind of a bunch of fingerling roots like this. But I noticed at the end of one root, there was a shell of what was a kernel of corn. It was transparent shell. Inside that shell, everything of that kernel of corn was gone. It had given up its life into the plant. And now that plant, which will grow through the summer months, will at some point, depending on the variety of corn it is, it might produce one cob, it might produce two. I think there's even varieties that produce three. I'm not 100% sure. It doesn't matter at this point. And so here we have this one kernel producing one, two, or three cobs of corn. Now, Margaret and I, my wife and I, we're empty nesters now. Our boys are gone. I'm thanking God they live close to us. Most of them do. But you see, our mealtime can become kind of, she doesn't know what to talk about, and I don't know what to talk about. So we basically eat our meal. It's not that way all the time, but sometimes it is. There isn't the children there to keep things pumped up. So we're having corn in the cob one day, late in the summer, and I said to Margaret, because I teach from this verse, I'd kind of like to know just how many kernels that a cob produced. So we counted them. Mine was about 370. 
Margaret's cob was a bigger cob. She got over 400. Now you understand, one kernel produced 350, maybe 400 kernels of corn on that one cob. If it's a three cob variety, multiply that by three. Three times 400 is 1,200. One kernel might produce 1,200. What was the key? It had that kernel of corn had to die what it wanted and live for what it was created for. And then I said to you, because we get rid of this obstacle of self, of leading by the flesh, we now say, Father, I want to do your will. And that's when God allows us to start to enjoy his ongoing presence. Maybe not the goosebumps, the lightning bolts, maybe so, but on a regular basis to experience the presence of his peace, and out of that comes the joy of life. We've looked in the world for joy. God says, no, I have one that's more last, lasting. If, you, if, you, if you're sick, you can still have the peace and the joy. If you're having financial troubles, you're trusting in me, you can still have the peace and the joy. The world can't take it away what God has done. I want to look at how David, King David, looked at the whole thing of spending time with the Lord. Psalm 27, starting in verse 4. One thing, notice, one thing. Number one, I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This passage of scripture in David, out there looking after the sheep, or later on as king of Israel, David had an attitude. There's one thing that's more important to me than anything else, and that is being able to live on a day-by-day -day basis in the presence of the Lord. And I've tried to explain to you, I believe that as we get rid of the old selfish, I want what I want. I want people to treat me the way I want. I want things to go my way. When we get rid of that and give up that and say, Lord, you're the Lord of my life, I get rid of that. Then there's room for Jesus to come and live in this. When he says, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. What is he saying? He's not talking about a building, of course. He's talking about knowing I'm in the presence of the Lord because he is Lord of my life. I've relinquished my life to him, and I'm serving him. This isn't unusual. 
People give up their life for a company they work for. They give up their life for many different types of religions. They give up their life for philosophies. They give up their life to mount, climb Mount Everest and die doing it. They know they might die. They're still willing to, they're willing to give up their life to accomplish what they want. What's so unusual about giving up my life to serve the one who formed me in the womb, loved me, fussed over me in the womb, with great respect and awe, he brought me out and raised me up to be what I am today. Why not be willing to give to him everything? I'm willing, Lord, to let you rule me. And so he said in Psalm 27, verse 4, I've read the first two lines, all the days of my life. He didn't say just a few here and a few there when I have time to close in the closet or whatever. He said, all the days of my life, because I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David says, that's what I live for. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble, I didn't promise you there wouldn't be trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, you might say, that, does that mean they will never harm me physically, whoever they are? And I, it's not saying that. He keeps my soul safe. He gives me the strength to resist, whether it be trouble or persecution, hatred, rejection. He gives me the strength, the safety of knowing the Holy Spirit is going to keep me there. It says he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. I couldn't, when I read that, I couldn't help but think of in the old days when I was young, used to watch um, cowboy Indian movies. And you see, there's sometimes the, the, the cavalry would be coming through a pass in the mountains, for example. And they, whatever they're looking for, but they're coming through a long line of cavalry on their horses. But up in the mountains, beside them, hiding behind the rocks and the shrubbery, were the, the, were the native people with their rifles or their bow and arrows ready to attack. And it's kind of that way with the Lord. Just say, he wants to set me up above what the, the Indian native people was an enemy. He wants to set me up above my enemies so I can see what they're doing. He said, he'll hide me upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surrounded me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. What a blessing Dan, David had to know the presence of the Lord. I believe he found that presence way back when he sat on the hill with his harp praising the Lord with his heart, watching over his father's sheep. Some of you are saying, I wish I had that much time. You don't have to have that much time. Just come to a place where you're totally and completely yielded to the Lord so that he can come and set up his tabernacle in you. I would like to join David's, the one thing that he wanted, was something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus and 12 hungry disciples 
show up at Mary and Martha's house at lunchtime. They hadn't called ahead or emailed, they'd just show up. And so Martha says, we've got to get something together here. But to see Mary went and sat down at the feet of Jesus. And so in verse 38, where are we here? Luke 10, sorry. Martha was distracted. This is verse 40 of Luke 11. Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's never happened in your home, has it? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. Listen to what Jesus, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I've had so many people tell me after hearing a teaching from this passage of Scripture, Howard, I did that. I began to lay aside just some of the duties of the home, just some of the things that I thought had to be done to, to keep up my reputation as a good housewife or whatever it might have been. I just laid them aside for the time being, and I spent time with the Lord. And I began to understand what Jesus said. Mary has found the one thing that is important. David said, there's only one thing I want. Jesus said, there's only one thing. Mary understands it. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, enjoying his fellowship, enjoying his teaching. What an awesome God we serve that will fill us with the joy and the peace the world promises and doesn't deliver many times. He's promised us to sit in his presence. There he'll show us the enemy. There he'll fill our hearts with his presence. There's a number of Psalms that David and some other people have written. I've put them down here just so that I can read them to you. Please forgive me for reading so much, but it's good. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I want you to imagine a deer under the hot sun, under hot weather, just thirsty, panting, because it's thirsty. David says, my soul longs for the Lord the same way. Now let me ask you this. Does your soul long and pant for the presence of the Lord? And if it doesn't, I'm not here to condemn you. And you'd better not condemn yourself and don't let the enemy condemn you. But this is what I did, and this is what many people have done. They simply start saying to the Lord, Lord, would you increase the desire within me? Give me that grace that my soul would long for you and yearn for you, 
because up to now, I've been trying to find space in my busy schedule where I can spend some time with you. And before I know it, I'm laying on my bed at night and I'm going to, ready to go to sleep. And I remember I didn't spend time with the Lord today. Lord, I want your grace. I want you to start to give me a hunger and a thirst for your presence. And as the Lord gives that hunger and thirst, there's a hymn that says, the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and praise. Hallelujah. You see, I don't have to be a legalistic, I've got to spend time with God. We need to be a people who say, God, I want, to be, I want to know you. I want to be in love with you deeper than what I am. Please, let me spend time. Give me a hunger. Give me a thirst that I'll want to pick up the word and soak in the words, especially the New Testament and the life of Jesus. I just want to soak them up. Give me that grace, Lord God. Give me that hunger and that thirst. And then again in Psalm 61, verses 2 to 4, from the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart goes faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You understand? We're not a rock. There's one higher than we are. If I think I'm the rock, I'm still in control of myself. I need to go the one that's higher. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent. David says, I long to. He didn't say, I have to, so therefore I got to do something. He says, I long to, because God has given me the grace of wanting it. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Don't forget, don't forget at that time in David's history, the temple of the Lord was simply the tent they had through the wilderness and now in Israel, and it was that way until Solomon built the temple. And then he says in Psalm 62, verses 1 to 3, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Again, there's nothing legalistic about this. It's a desire. It's like, it's like a, a good marriage where the wife says, I really desire to be with my husband. She doesn't say, because I'm his wife, I have to be. She says, I desire to be. Ask God to give you that desire. Ask God to give you a brand new freedom in this. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and dreary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Your love is better than life. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. That's better than the Lord, the, law, the joy the world can give us in the presence of the Lord. And then Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My goodness. My soul clings, Lord. Oh, Lord, I love your presence. 
please don't ever leave me. When David committed adultery with Sheba in the Psalm 51, oh Lord, he says, do not, do not allow your Holy Spirit to be taken from me. Then in Psalm 73, a man named Asaph, who had a lot to do with the music of Israel, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. At the beginning of the psalm, he says, I don't understand why the, the heathens do so well. They're rich, they're, they're healthy. Why do they do so well? Then he says in verse, 70, well, in verse 16, I don't understand it. It's oppressive. But then he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. In other words, they might be enjoying life now, but I see their final destiny. I understand it because I was in the presence of the Lord. Finally, Psalm 84. This is of the sons of Korah. Korah also, his sons had to do with the music of Israel. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near the, your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Do you understand? There's such a, a peace and a joy in knowing God intimately. There's such a love for him that he can put into our hearts. We need to ask him for love. We need to ask him for the yearning to be with him. We need to keep it away from being a legalist. I have to. We need to do it because we want to. Just as a wife in a good relationship with her husband longs to be with her husband. I can tell you this. The father longs to spend time with you as a good husband would long to spend time with his wife. And Old, Old Testament, New Testament, God continually um, identifies his relationship with us by giving us a picture of good marriages. Now I want to give you the bridge between dying to self and living for Jesus Christ, living in him. And it's John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands, don't forget, Jesus gave the commands. We are not required to live under Moses. Moses himself said in Deuteronomy 18, 18, there's a prophet coming after me. Do what he says, says it twice. God said the same thing on Mount Transfiguration. This is my son. Moses there, Elijah. He said, this is my son. Do what he says. So, verse 21, John 14. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Bingo. How do I prove my love for Jesus? Obey him. He's not interested in your bumper stickers or your T-shirts that say you love him. He's interested in obedience. He, is, he who loves me, this is, this is important, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, 
he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. One translation says, set up housekeeping in him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, if you read before in John 14, you would come across little verses that talk about obedience proves his love. If you read on in this chapter and in chapter 15, you would read where there's times again John says, if you want to say you love him, then you'll obey him. And even over in the epistles in 1 John, he says it again. Now this is what he is saying. Love me and prove it by obedience. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.